How do you pronounce this planet? Tangeluna? Gamma Tangeluna. I'll just say Gamma 4. <laughs> <laughs> Tangelina. Tangerine. Angelina. Angelina. Uh, all right, we're recording. To Trek Companion. This is episode 162. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're going to be discussing the original series, second season episodes, Mirror Mirror, The Apple, and The Doomsday Machine. Here we go. Mirror Mirror, season 2, episode 4, production code 039. Original air date, October 6th, 1967. Directed by Mark Daniels, written by Jerome Bixby, music composed by Fred Steiner. Guest cast include Barbara Luna as Lieutenant Marlena Moreau, John Winston as Transporter Chief Kyle, Vic Perrin as Them, Eddie Paskey as Lieutenant Leslie, William Blackburn as Lieutenant Hadley, Roger Holloway as Lieutenant Limley, Pete Kellett as Kirk's henchman, Garth Pillsbury as Wilson, Bob Bass as Chekhov's henchman, and Bobby Clark as Chekhov's second henchman. After failing to persuade the Halkin Council to allow the Federation to mine the lithium crystals on their planet, Captain Kirk, along with Dr. McCoy, Chief Engineer Scott, and Lieutenant Ahura, begin to transport back to the Enterprise. When an ongoing ion storm causes a transporter malfunction and the landing team instead materialize aboard an unfamiliar, unfamiliar Enterprise. In the Mirror Universe, the group realizes something is amiss as they walk off the transporter pad. First Officer Spock, who now has a beard, orders the bridge crew to prepare a phaser barrage on the Hawkins in retaliation for their refusal to cooperate, then uses an agonizer device to punish the transporter operator for a malfunction. You're a man of integrity in both universes, Mr. Spock. You must return to your universe. I must have my captain back. I shall operate the transporter. You have two minutes and ten seconds. For that time, I have something to say. How long before the Hulk and prediction of collective revolt is realized? Approximately 240 years. The inevitable outcome? The Empire shall be overthrown, of course. Mirror, mirror. Gosh, you know, some of these original series episodes are like, I don't know, they're, they're so iconic. It feel, so, it, there's just a part of me, sometimes it feels weird just talking about them. It's like, <laughs> people have thought about these and talked about these and written about these and read about these so much over the years and seen them so many times. It's hard to imagine we're going to bring anything new new to the conversation, but we're going to try, by God. But no, I, you know, it's, sometimes it just feels like, um, yeah, any anything I can say is is has been <laughs> said a million times. Rather than put all that pressure on me, I'll put it on Steve. Why don't you start? Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. So where to begin? Yeah, it, it's hard to uh, think of something new to say. Obviously, this. Um, <clears throat> is probably the, one of the most recognizable like episodes. A lot of it has to do with Spock and the beard, and obviously we have a whole lot of um, um, in the in the Trek universe a whole lot of spin-offs to this as well, especially in Deep Space Nine and later in Enterprise or earlier in Enterprise, however you want to look at it. Um, and and this I always found this episode very entertaining too. It's uh, it's interesting to see. Um, you know, kind of the, the the what if, you know, like, you know, what if you've got more or less the 
these people with their personalities and the way they interact, but in a, in a, in a universe with a very different, uh, rules, different, uh, social context, et cetera, et cetera. And so, um, I think that's always entertaining. I think, I think generally speaking, it's always entertaining to have stories that are, that are, that are talk about like, well, what if, what if some variable was changed or what if everyone was put in, these characters were put in a different scenario. So, um, I suspect it was entertaining and, uh, enjoyable for the actors too, to play, to play in some cases, different roles in other cases, playing, uh, characters, um, in a, in a different setting. But, um, yeah, I, this is, this is one of my favorite, uh, original series episodes, um, for a variety of reasons. Certainly easily in the top 10. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Adam, some of your first thoughts for mirror mirror. You know, um, I agree. I agree with everything Steve said. It's, um, yeah, it's a great episode. I kind of feel like this might be the very first ensemble episode. Um, everybody, all the original cast members have a, have a, have a, have at least a scene, a memorable scene in this episode. All of them. Um, I don't recall that, up to this point I could be wrong I had the same thought watching this and I don't ever I don't remember ever thinking that before but I had the same thought yeah yeah so it, to me it feels um you know I mean everybody had a really you know not just you know a, a quick cameo but had a, you know it was integral to the plot and moving this um this episode forward so to me like I said it felt like the first ensemble episode of Star Trek ever part of that I wonder is the movies not so much the first one but you know Star Trek 2 through 6 kind of really defined for certain who the original series stars were. I mean, everybody would have agreed with Kirk, Spock, McCoy, but um, I mean, if you looked at the numbers, you could, I don't know. You, you, I'm not saying you could necessarily argue for others to be on that list, maybe, but I think you, you could argue, you know, there's a lot of episodes that don't have Uhura or that she barely does anything or the same. You could say the same about Scotty or, God's sake, Chekhov isn't in the entire first season. But that core crew, that, as defined by Star Trek's 2 through 6, they're all perfectly featured here, and it's just them. And I, and I think that that's kind of what I was thinking about whenever, I don't know, whenever Uhura was going over there and macking on, um, or a fake macking, I guess, but on um, Chekhov, or excuse me, Sulu. I was just kind of thinking about that. I'm like, you know, watching this episode, if you'd watched it in the mid-80s, it would have, it it would have made a lot more, not that it would have made more sense, the other ones would have felt weird to me. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of the first episode that has that group. Yeah, I wouldn't, I mean, you know, it's, I mean, yes, it's plot driven by, obviously by Kurt, but, um, you know, even Chekhov, he's not in this episode very much, but he has a very important scene yeah. and memorable scene in this, you know, he tries to, you know, assassinate Kirk and, you know, and then you see him being tortured later on and, um, you know, obviously Scotty, McCoy and Ahura are all in this universe with Kirk, um, um you know, and we get to see Nimoy play. I mean, <laughs> believe it or not, it had, I, I think this might be the most entertaining fight scene that I've seen with the, when they're all fighting. I mean, obviously, you know, who's that guy? Is oh, very yeah. prevalent, but <laughs> it was a very entertaining fight scene. Um, that, yeah. With them, um, you know, trying to take down Spock there in the, in the sick bay. He should have won, right? Like he's so strong, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, actually it's funny. Cause I, I think, I think Spock probably does come off the coolest in this episode. I mean, I'm sure that you know, talk about everybody's talked about it before, but it's the beard. You know, you say mirror, mirror. The first thing somebody thinks of mm -hmm. is Spock's goatee. <laughs> as just as a almost a joke that that immediately means somebody's evil. That's still kind of in our culture. 
even if yeah. maybe some young people don't realize where it comes from, this is where it comes from. And just as a character, he's the most fascinating to me in this episode. I suppose that's frequently true. But he is still the calm and logical Spock. Oh, yeah. You can't take that out of him. But he's, you know, he's evil, right? Or maybe 80% evil or something, whatever. Um, so there's still that those things that defined Spock as a character, they're all still there. We just point them in a different direction. And then it's fascinating and gives us insight into him, right? I, I love that he's still got that. But but just as one example, you know, it, it's easy to think, well, maybe he wasn't as evil as the others. I think that's all just hidden beneath this level of calm and and logic. The only thing that really you can use that for is at the end, whenever which is a beautiful sequence whenever Kirk kind of talk gives him reasons that he should reconsider um, the Empire's ways. Pure logic. Yeah, but even then, Kirk is using logic for one thing. But I submit Spock, talking about the sickbay sequence, so after the fight, Spock mind-melding with McCoy without any kind of permission from McCoy, mm-hmm. that's crazy evil, and I mean, it's like a violation. I don't know. That that That's always been... The older I get, somehow the darker that seems to me. I think I probably thought it was cool when I was younger. (laughs) But now it's like, oh my god. You know? I mean, and then look at McCoy as he comes into the transporter room. He just looks (laughs) wasted, you know? (laughs) It also made for my, one of my favorite Hallmark ornaments. (laughs) Mm, Right, right. You know, and the the character Kurt comes off very well in this episode. I mean, you know, there were, he had plenty of opportunities just to be like, you know, I'm going to save myself and my crew and just go along with this and mm-hmm. kill people commit genocide and but um you know he didn't he um he held true to his his morals and his character yeah and same for uh mccoy like saying no i have to save spock you right. know in the sick bay but that but that's a good point about kirk you know like he can't help but but be that way has this episode changed for you guys like i like i was saying for me that's the one thing i i i'm very conscious of is that that one sequence with Spock seems a lot darker. But then my latest, the, the only, the new thing for me is what you were talking about earlier, Adam, is, is this feeling of here's the crew, you know, the, all together. I mean, how, how do you guys feel about this episode now versus years ago? Oh, I like it just as much, if not more, you know. Um, I think you have, I think we all probably might have a little bit more appreciation for it just because of, um, you know, what Steve was mentioning earlier, you know, we're DS9 took all of this to, you know, you, it's fun to kind of go back and see this moment, you know, what what's the DS9 episode, or what is it, O'Brien who explains this, this, is he, is O'Brien the one who explains this, this episode in DS9, where, you know, Kirk. Sounds right, but that seems like a lifetime ago that we watched yeah. DS9. <laughs> <laughs> So it's 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 fun to kind of see it now and see everything, especially you know with Enterprise too. We we just watched that episode. I mean, I guess last summer, but kind of goes really fast. But that episode from Enterprise, where you know you kind of mm-hmm. see the beginnings of of this universe and and how it formed. Same for you, Steve. Yeah, I, I don't know that there's much difference. I mean, I uh, I think as we kind of established, I watched these not so many years ago all through again, and I don't know this one. This episode, of course, too, is one of these that you feel like you practically haven't memorized anyway and so it's yeah it's not like it's can really be totally fresh when you see it again because it's ingrained i don't know yeah i like sulu's scar we forgot to mention that <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Uhura looks very nice in this episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and actually, she's very good. She has a lot more to do here than usual. Mm-hmm. She's very good. Yes. Uh, the one question I want to ask about Kirk seems he seems to be like it's instinctive for him. He immediately knows that he needs to hide the truth. You know, you notice that like the second they're they're in the transporter room at the beginning of the show, you know, and he sees that things are different. Some he knows to just hold back. He knows to not. Mm-hmm start to you know, tell the truth he knows to um quietly communicate this uh his intent to hold back to the other three people that are part of his away team where do you think that comes from because i never thought about that before i suppose i mean the episode doesn't work without it but <laughs> yeah well i mean i guess we can you know kirk's a very astute astute leader um or astute captain he's able to recognize things very quickly and react to them properly I mean that's the way. Um, that's that's Captain James T. Kirk. I think that's when you, you look at the way Shatner plays him, and you know, and now Chris Pine. You know, they they've both been able to encompass that. Um, you know what the Captain Kirk's everything that you would want out of a captain. You know, and I think that's portrayed very well through by Shatner and by the writing and um. I mean, obviously, like you said, it it wouldn't have worked if he'd been like Spock, take that beard off. Who's who's messing around? You know, that would probably, the episode would have gone a different <laughs> way. <laughs> well, yeah, I think the character has a lot of emotional intelligence, you know, and so he can, you know, reading people is a strength, you know, and reading a situation, you know. So it's obviously shows, you know, he's in, you know, it sounds crazy because in, in in compared to our lives, you know, any crazy thing can happen. Like you can just find yourself in an alternative universe. I mean, it's not going to gonna wake here. You wake up and you, you know, you'd flip your top and they'd have you committed or something like that to how you'd react <laughs> if, if everything was all switched around. But there apparently it's, you know, Oh, you know what this could be? <laughs> you know, I don't know if he went that far, but you know, clearly he's in a position of power. They're showing him deference, but everything looks different. Everyone's behaving differently. And it's kind of like, we'll just, uh, let's gather information before we do anything drastic. I mean, it's it's a reasonable course. Well, even with um, his mistress, I can't remember what's the Marlena. Marlena, mm-hmm. you know, he was able to to read her and handle her well. You know, she could have went off the as he always end. does yeah. with the ladies, of course. Yeah, I do love that little callback thing at the end there when you mm-hmm. see our universe, Lieutenant Marlena. That's, <laughs> that's a nice moment. Uh, what's this episode about? I kind of think like the th- you know of, as a, with all the mirror universe episodes, they kind of have a, a a kind of a theme that there's a there's a fine line between um, who we are and who we could could be. You know, kind of like if you'd made this choice instead of this choice, you could be evil or good or something like that. That's kind of how I I was looking. At, I was kind of looking at there's a fine line between good and bad um, that's can be blurred. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure if I really can expand upon that much i mean that that idea of um yeah that <clears throat> we um we're we're so close to just circumstances could could make us um make very different choices and have a different you know we're we tend we tend to think of ourselves as have a fixed set of values and so on but it, that all exists in the context of the world we live in and our experiences and so it doesn't take much of a shift in that to to change that cool so we all love this one. All right, let's do six degrees for Mirror Mirror. Uh, let's see. Adam, do you want the title question or the not title question? I'll take the not title question. 
Garth Pillsbury. Boy, that's a heck of a name. (laughs) Garth Pillsbury plays Wilson, the guy that Kirk thanks for saving him from Chekhov by punching him in the face. In the original series' third season, Pillsbury plays a troglodyte dissident in the episode The Cloud Minders. Why has Kirk been sent to the cloud city of Stratos? Mm, You don't have to give me exact names, just the concept will be good. Oh, I vaguely... I remember the episode. I have the picture of the Cloud City in my head. Um, I'm just going to take a shot in the dark. Why was he sent there? I'm just going to say he was kidnapped. No. Steve? Um, yeah. Um, gosh. He was sent to broker peace or something? I don't know. He needs a mineral called Xenite to stop a plague. Hmm. Okay, I'm good. Which kind of relates to this episode. He needs minerals in this episode, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, by the way, I'm going to add real quick. I love the expression on um, Shatner's face when he takes the punch to the face when he's getting off the turbo lift. <laughs> Just oh, yeah. Yeah. All right, go ahead ask Steve's question. Name the Enterprise Season 4 episodes that serve as prequels to this episode. Um, is it um, In a Mirror Darkly, Part 1 and 2? That is correct. Steve has one. Adam does not. (laughs) Moving on. The Apple, Season 2, Episode 5, Production Code 038, Original Air Date October 13, 1967. Directed by Joseph Pevney, written by Max Ehrlich, music composed by Gerald Freed. Guest cast include Keith Andes as Akuda, Sherry Nims as Sayana, David Soule as Makora, Eddie Paskey as Lieutenant Leslie, William Blackburn as Lieutenant Blackburn, Celeste Jarnell as Yeoman Martha Landon, Jay Jones as Ensign Mallory, Jerry Daniels as Marple, Mal Friedman as Hindorf. Dick Dial as Kaplan, John Winston as Lieutenant Kyle, Paul Baxley as Native, Bobby Clark as Native, Vince Dedrick as Native, and Ron Burke as Native. The Enterprise arrives at Gamba Changelini 4, a planet that appears to be tropical paradise with very rich natural resources. Captain Kirk leads a landing party, including Spock, Dr. McCoy, Ensign Chekhov, Yeoman Martha Landon, along with other security personnel. They quickly find that Paradise is extremely hostile. They lose security members to plants that shoot poisonous darts, explosive rocks, and bizarre lightning storms. Transporting back to the ship is impossible as an energy field is drawing power from the Enterprise, rendering the transporters inoperative. The good doctor was concerned that the Valians achieved true human stature. I submit there's no cause for worry. They've taken the first step. They've learned to kill. The Apple. I, one of the things I bolded in my notes here, Kirk is the only guy that can punch someone and then say, I won't hurt you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, Adam, why don't you kick us off on The Apple? Um, This episode's kind of like the two halves, you know. I did not enjoy the first half of this episode where they're running through the, the forest, you know, getting shot by darts, explosive rocks, you know. It just seemed kind of goofy and kind of just I, I didn't know where that what they were going with there um and then the second half i didn't mind so much when they got to the village and you know they the episode kind of started to come together in the second half you know you had these villagers you had this weird machine you know it's kind of prototypical star trek episode you know machine you know 
has you know control of these humans and is using them. Um, overall, I would say it's a, an average episode. It, it's definitely you know in between Mirror Mirror and the Doomsday Machine, it's definitely the weakest of the three. I wouldn't say it's a bad episode, but I wouldn't say I would, thought it was a good episode. Yeah, I, I definitely agree that it meanders a bit until they get to the village. I mean, there's a, there's a section in the beginning that really confuses me. Because it's like, Spock takes the flower, hit. Actually, that sounds like it would have been fun to him, not. but anyway. <laughs> Spock takes that injury, and then there's this whole rigmarole of, all right, beam us up. Oh, we can't be- beam you up. And then Spock just like gets up, and he's pretty much okay. Yeah. And it just seemed like this weird five minutes of completely wasting time, like yeah. script-wise, story-wise. It's like, well, why was that five minutes even there? If you could literally take it out of the episode, it would have no effect whatsoever. Scotty's talking about, oh, there's this little problem. Yeah, it's going to be a big problem, you know. And then, <laughs> well, that's kind of like like having a several times, several shots of like where they cut back to a red shirt standing all by himself and then they cut over and everybody else is together and then they cut back and the red shirt's by himself yeah. and then they cut back and everybody's together and then they cut back and red. what do you think is going to happen? Yeah. Uh, I had written down as like, you know, when Spock broke that rock in half, wouldn't it, wouldn't it have exploded just by breaking it, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's odd explosive properties, these. Well, the, these rocks have gyroscopes built in so it had mm. I think, you know, this is the, this, this is the episode that <laughs> kind of made that red shirt concept what it is. For sure. Yeah, yeah. I think we have four, or is it three? No, it's four, right? Four. All four red shirts die in this episode. Yeah. And, and pretty horrifically, too. One of them actually gets... <laughs> the last one, it's almost the worst one to me, like, beat on the head, you know, right? It's like, ugh. What was funny to me is, like, uh, you know, after the first red shirt died, nobody seemed, you know, nobody seemed to be really all that upset about it, you know, Chekhov's hitting on this girl, you know, I'd been like, you know, if I <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, died, I'd be, be kind of upset about it, I'd be like, okay, you know, we need to be serious. <laughs> I will say, though, unlike so many other episodes, after three of them die, Kirk actually stops for 60 seconds and talks about it. He says... <laughs> This mission wasn't that important. Not worth the lives of three men. You know, and talking about that at all is way more than we usually get. Yeah, that's true. He actually says their names. There's some line about his dad helped me get into the academy or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. It wasn't till till then where it, it kind of, I because I didn't understand why they beamed like 17, you know, I think it was 17 kilometers away from the village. I'm like, that's kind of a long walk. <laughs> I mean, that's got to be like about 10 miles. I'm like, why did they beam that far away from the village? But then, it, you know, he's talking about, I just wanted to walk through the, the, you know, the paradise. And I'm like, okay, that's why they're making this long. Well, then, yeah, you should feel bad if just until you could <laughs> the thing. And it's probably his fault, right? Yeah, yeah it is his fault. That, yeah, the, I, I really started thinking it was comical when the, the dude getting, like, stepping on the rock and blowing in the air. That At that point, it got dumb funny. I, I, th- I thought this hurt. I started finding it funny the, the red shirt deaths when the guy was oh when you start running and then just boom flow in the air then it got silly <laughs> you know just kind of waiting for like right and left people just flying up in the air and you know it's it ridiculous yeah i didn't understand why like red shirts had to scout ahead like you know they were expecting danger i don't know but like the, like so the first half of this episode was just really weird and out of balance and i didn't know what they were, the hell they were doing yeah, and the, and the Chekhov and the girl, thank God, it's so silly. I mean, it's it's so unprofessional. It's like, what on earth? I mean, I know they do. It's kind of like the whole thing is just to set up the thing later in the later in the episode with the natives, you know, witnessing it and stuff. But it's 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 so ridiculous. 
it's kind of you know the serpent head for the robot that was kind of ridiculous too. <laughs> That, that I didn't. I did not mind. I, I mean, it wasn't know. that bad. But I mean, after you get after you're going through all the silliness, then you're like, you see the serpent head. You're like, okay, really, where are we going here? But I would have liked some. I would have been interested to know how did that robot get there. You know how what how, you know mm-hmm. some of that backstory that that would have been very interesting to me, like how that ended up being the leader of these this small group of people. I mean, this episode makes me think about uh, the the time machine. Uh, the the movie uh, the George Pal, hmm. you know there you've got this really cool. We actually do get to learn about, you know how the oh I can't remember the species names, but like you know those those subterranean people that kind of control the the paradisey people up top. You know we 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 learn all that, and that's that's the most interesting part. There's a part of me that that would have liked that story to have been uh, revealed. But we really don't. We really get nothing from that. No, I mean um, this episode reminded me a little bit of the the next gen episode. I think it's the first season one where you know they have the god creek, the god thing is above the planet, and Wesley is going to be killed. I don't remember the name of the episode, but it reminded me a little bit. It might have just been because the the natives were dressed similarly. Mm. Oh yeah, with the the flower bed. Yeah, a lot of flowers, a lot of flowers. Also, thought who was the leader of the the village? What was his his name, Steve? Oh gosh. I don't know which one's which, to be honest with you. But I, I, the first thing I thought of, you know, I had those metal antennas sticking out. I was like, man, it'd be hard to sleep with those. <laughs> <laughs> he, he looked like um, Boothby, uh, um, what's his name? From My Favorite Martian. Uh, Ray Walton? Or... Ray Walton, yeah, he looked like him in My Favorite Martian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that kind, of, kind of talk eventually gets tiresome too, you know, um, where the, it's kind of like, uh, was ball, ball is ball, and this this nonsense. I mean, it's just, <laughs> I mean, I get what they're doing, you know. This, whatever. Uh, yeah, I think it's silly. the scenes. Um, the scenes I did like in this episode. Um, the uh, the argument between um, Spock and McCoy. You know, Spock is you know, mm-hmm. you know, saying you know, well, if this works for them, if they're happy and they're prosperous, and you know, obviously McCoy is like they're not living. You know that 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 argument, and then later on, um. And, Kirk and Spock kind of had the same conversation about, you know, they don't call it the prime directive, but that's basically what it is. And Kirk's saying, I'll take my chances. These, these people aren't growing. They're not living. So those are kind of the scenes that are, to me, those are the best scenes in the episode that kind of say what it's about. Well, I want to ask then about the prime directive because they, they do talk about it. Why are they on this planet at all? I mean, I know they said that they were investigating the area because of some uh, scout ship that got some strange readings, but I mean, is that enough to, show up right in front of the, the natives that are obviously, I mean, don't have warp, even if we haven't established that part yet, you know? And obviously there's, you know, in, in the original series, there's all sorts of examples of what we would later think of as interference. Um, but uh, yeah, this, the prime this directive is a isn't quite fully The prime, yeah. I would say the prime directive isn't quite fully developed by right. this point in Trek. But I, I can't, it's hard to understand at all why it makes sense, why it's cool here to do this. I mean, it's not like, I don't know, you know, why it's cool to interfere. I mean, I, I, I get the argument, but there's, I don't, it's not, I don't think it's a good argument for messing with them. It's just kind of like, well, you know what? I think this is stagnant, so we're going to blow up their, you know, robot god or whatever. They kind of had to at that point. Too. Yeah, he, he, that, that robot god guy is kind of in the process of destroying the enterprise true true so they do have that all set up and also the couple of times that kirk 
comes to the robot like in person, he's not even able to have a sentence of a conversation. The, mm-hmm. He starts to talk at all, and then... Yeah, he can't talk this robot to death, this machine. No. Which does kind of make it a moot point as to is there even an ethical dilemma here? Because if you're preserving yourself, you know, I mean, you probably shouldn't have gotten involved in the first place, but if you're preserving your the lives of those on your crew anyway, it's not really even that much of a dilemma. Now, my, that kind of thing may have been more of a dilemma. I could imagine in a next-gen episode actually be in consideration of should we sacrifice all of this so we don't interfere in this culture because they had a different angle mm. on the Prime Directive. But, you know. You almost wonder if, like, Kirk is going to just have the phasers start to fire and then go out there and say, okay, Vol, you know, release the Enterprise or we continue this. But you quickly realize, no, his his plan was always to completely destroy Vol. Mm-hmm. Even when it's clear that Vol is weakening and nearing death, Kirk doesn't stop. Yeah. So that's even more than um, freeing those locals. How would this episode have been different if instead of just a robot, which they make clear early on. Vol is a robot, nothing more, something like that. Uh, instead of that, it had been like some kind of sentient creature in there. In the original series, it would have made no difference. He still would have just, just killed it. <laughs> well, it would have been a far more interesting episode, let's put it that way. But do you think Kirk's reaction would have been the same? Ultimately, if they're in danger, uh, he would have ultimately killed it, yeah. Yeah, I think, well, and, you know, especially in the original series, there was nothing more important to Kirk than the ship and his crew. So, like I said, the Prime Directive didn't really fully, to me, didn't really get fully formed and formulated until, you know, next gen. You know, I, this, yeah, I mean, I've, Captain Picard would have never, you know, he was, you know, Prime Directive guy. I mean, they, I don't think he would have made the same decision just because the Prime Directive was stated, you know, it was kind of like a document. Where here it's kind of loosely... Like, okay, you know, we're not supposed to do this. You'll be in trouble. Maybe not. Maybe be in trouble. Maybe not. So it's not really all that fully formed. What is this episode about? Um, I guess the dangers of relying on technology that might hinder your growth as a person, you know. You know, if you let technology do everything for you, you, you just kind of become a not a functioning human being, I guess. Well, and what I think is one of the problems with this, too, is that you know, we could we could say that, but it's not really the the crux of the matter. I mean, essentially, they they ultimately kill it primarily or destroy this thing primarily because they're in danger and they're they're under a threat. And there's not a great deal of evidence that while the, while they may be stagnant, there's not evidence that they're that they're not happy or content or something. You know, so it kind of makes the message fall a little flat if that is indeed the what they're trying to convey. I, I agree. This is not bad, but this is not great this is um average episode and once it gets through that first half it it's much more interesting well like steve said it's it's comical at times you know and you know um we were talking off off in between mirror mirror in this one you know i i enjoyed the fight scenes in this episode too that um the yeoman landon she she kicked some butt oh yeah totally yeah <laughs> Yeah. The first half of this episode just begs for a drinking game, really. <laughs> really, yeah, it does. With the red shirts? Yeah. yeah. Red shirts or check off hits on the girl. I mean, there's any number of things you could say. When you do this, you know. You know. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of stere- stereotypical <clears throat> Star Trek silliness in this episode. <laughs> All right, let's do six degrees for the apple. Adam went first last time. Uh, Steve? Yep. Dave, I, c- I couldn't help. I had to ask this. David Soul. 
plays Makora, the local that upsets Val by copying the touching and the kissing. <laughs> Sol is best known for playing Hutch in what awesome cop show? Starsky and Hutch? Oh, yeah. Adam? Yes. <laughs> what two regulars do not appear in this episode? Um... Sorry, folks. Vol never came back to the show, so I don't have a regular six degrees. Yeah. That would be... Sulu? Yes. Yes. Ahura? You are correct. Steve has two. Adam has one. Moving on. The Doomsday Machine, Season 2, Episode 6, Production Code 035. Original air date, October 20th, 1967. Directed by Mark Daniels, written by Norman Spinrad, music composed by Saul Kaplan. Guest cast include William Wyndham as Commodore Matt Decker, Elizabeth Rogers as Lieutenant Palmer, John Kopage as Elliot, Eddie Paskey as Lieutenant Leslie, William Blackburn as Lieutenant Hadley, Richard Compton as Washburn, Tim Burns as Russ, Jerry Catron as Montgomery, and John Winston as Lieutenant Kyle. <laughs> The Enterprise, following a trail of planets that have been destroyed by unknown means, receives a distress call from her sister ship, the USS Constellation. On arrival, they find the Constellation severely damaged and the bridge uninhabited. Captain Kirk, Dr. McCoy, Chief Scott, and a damage control team transport to the ship to evaluate her. In the auxiliary control, they discover the only member of the crew still aboard, Commodore Matt Decker, her captain. Decker explains they had discovered a giant machine miles long that uses beams to tear apart planets and consume the debris, fueling its progress through the sector of the galaxy. That thing must be destroyed. You tried to destroy it once before, Commodore. The result was a wrecked ship and a dead crew. The Doomsday Machine. I believe I'm on record as saying that um, this is kind of my favorite episode of the original series. I, I mean, certainly you can... You can objectively argue that it, you know something like "Sitting on the Edge of Forever" is the best episode of the original series. But you know, what is your favorite? What is the one you enjoy watching the most? That's kind of a different question. I do remember from most of my twenties, it was um, "Metamorphosis." I also remember a time when I think "Balance of Terror" was my favorite. But for the last few years, it's kind of been "Doomsday Machine." I'm not certain that it still is. We will revisit that at the end at the end of the series. I just find this episode incredibly exciting. It's so much fun to watch. Everything about it is is fun, and this is also I have to bring up the new VFX because I think they kind of transformed the episode. I mean, I think they're I think they actually and believe me. Uh, Steve, you probably remember how like offended and aghast I was at the concept that they mm-hmm. were doing those new VFX. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no, yeah, that, that was around the um, the 40th anniversary, wasn't that it? Mm-hmm. When in mm-hmm. Chicago. So Adam, I yeah, actually I saw you at that time. Yeah, I was I was pretty against it. I actually, it's like the only time, maybe only, maybe twice in my life, I got up and asked a question. David Ross was that his name? Kind of the the mm, right, guy that was in post, yeah, producer guy. Um, and I remember asking, please, please just tell me that you're also saving the original stuff transferred in HD. And he said, yes, absolutely. And then we got the Blu-rays and they have both, you know, the original effects and the new. So it's great. And it's hard to complain whenever they're giving us both. But I find I genuinely enjoy this episode more with the new VFX. They never go too far. It's not like the Doomsday Machine really looks, I mean, it still looks like a freaking you know, windsock dipped mm. in cement, right? Yeah. 
which is what the original was. It doesn't look that different, but it's just um, it's just cleaner and exciting and kind of it's it's what you always what you were when you were younger. It was what you imagined was happening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I still find this episode uh, wonderfully exciting, and uh, Wyndham is. Uh, a fantastic character actor. He he goes over the top just a smidge here and there, but gosh, there was, but not anymore. Mm-hmm. Don't you know there is no third planet? Don't you think I know that there was, but not anymore? I mean, that's a line that I always remember. Mm-hmm. There was a T-shirt, yeah, that I remember people that. wore, it, and it was like his picture, his image, <laughs> and then he just said, "There was, but not anymore!" Exclamation, exclamation, you know, and uh, it was great. So. I still very much love this episode. Uh, what are your guys' kind of first thoughts on the Doomsday Machine? Um, I I'd agree with you. I'm the this is the first time I've seen it with all the new um, effects. I would say this so far this is the most of all the you know all the episodes where you know there's a lot of ship maneuvering. There's asteroids. They obviously redo the whole floating sock i mean it even looks cooler but yeah i mean and i really enjoyed it you know the different maneuvering and different shots that kind of thing i think it kind of actually added to it and i think it really did transform this episode probably more than most of the others that we've seen because there is so much action going on in space with this episode and um um, i enjoyed it yeah this this is very entertaining very entertaining episode, and it's good. I think it's it's a very well balanced episode too. The the um, in terms of um, I, I think it's the pacing is what's so good. You know, you never you never feel like there's there's a dull moment or something. You know, it's just it goes one thing to the next to the next to the next, and it builds builds. I mean, it's it just it's just really well well done in that respect. And um, um, you know, you've got the the big. Uh, climactic moment you know you obviously you know he's going to get off the ship but i mean it, it's it's a little nerve-wracking and so you kind of have the strategy and yeah it's just it's a lot of fun you know and, and it's good like you like you said the acting and the writing and everything so just all around great when you talk about pacing look at the apple we were talking about the first half mm-hmm. one of the things that makes it feel so meandering and slow is that we're pretty much just sitting right down there with them in the paradise the whole time there's a couple times they call up to scotty and it's basically a shot of scotty and we cut back right that's it mm-hmm. doomsday machine you've got this whole secondary storyline that i hesitate to call a b it's because they're so related it's not really an a and a b but it's just this other setting that's going on at the same time with with kirk trying to get the constellation going Mm-hmm. You know, and they can they can always cut away to that, and that story is just as exciting and interesting. Yeah, you know, um, so we never stay anywhere. No, no scene ever overstays its welcome. Yeah, I think that helps a lot. But I, I love that. That's that storyline's an easy one to forget when you're thinking about this episode. But that that might be my favorite thing about this episode is the whole bit where you see how many times do we see Kirk down there working on a ship <laughs> right you know and it's him and just a couple of people and they're just trying to get this sucker to move anything they can the tiniest bit of motion is going to help mm-hmm. you know Scotty doing his miracle work and it's just it's just exciting to me it's it's uh gosh what was it is an 80 or 80s movie uh dead calm i always remember i loved dead calm when i was younger and and that movie there's this half the movie is Sam Neill is stuck in a boat that's sinking by himself and he's just trying to get it working so he can go save Nicole Caveman. I always loved that movie and every time I ever saw it I thought about Kirk and the constellation like mm-hmm. they ripped that off. <laughs> you know. The moral the moral of the story that never get on a boat with Billy Zane. <laughs> right. 
I like the part where um, he's uh, Scotty says something like, you know, come on, lad, help me do whatever he's going to do in the engines. And Kirk just immediately says, uh, hey, you stay here and help me with this view screen. I had that down, too. You know what I thought benefited most from the new effects in this episode is the constellation. Yeah. Because yeah. in the old one, you know, it's just it's not. You can't really do all the battle damage and, you know, the detail. The Constellation, I thought, benefited most from the new... Uh, I don't yeah, know, you see, like, half of a nacelle missing, you know? The different it's decks. Cool. Yeah, it's yep. really neat. You can see kind of through it. It's it's really cool. Yeah, yeah it's really neat. When I talk about how the, the VFX really transformed this episode for me, that's a good example because it's not just that it's really cool. It adds to the narrative. When you cut inside and you see Kirk and Scotty doing everything they can to get this tug moving you know it means something because we've really seen that that ship has been beat to hell right in a way that i never i never felt with the old vfx of course they were they were amazing for the time for television but you know we're not backing on the old effects i'm just saying that the new effects have really they helped it transform yeah. this episode yeah i love that end bit when um you know you're talking about the those final moments, it's, it's, it's exciting, and Kirk gets beamed on just in time. But the second he's there, he takes off running for the bridge so he can go mm-hmm. up there and, and see what's happening. It's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a great little bit of directing, too, because, you know, don't take for granted, folks. This stuff, it's not like they were shooting over uh, on the Constellation, and they said, okay, now we're going to run over here and shoot this on the... No, it was, it was like the next day, you know, after they had coffee and eggs for breakfast and whatever, you know? And it's like, you have to envision all of this stuff going yeah. together in that way it's just it's just really well done again very exciting there's so many things about this episode that make me love it so much but that's definitely one of those things yeah scotty yeah the scotty and that little what is it i guess it's a jeffrey's tube mm-hmm. <laughs> sparks oh, yeah. are going off he's just his arms are flying right now lad pretty good stuff is this another one that you uh remember seeing when you were really young guys mm-hmm. oh yeah i do i definitely memorable although i never caught on to that Decker, and so this Commander Commodore Decker, his son is actually the Decker from the motion picture, or is that just coincidence? No, it is supposed to be. I don't know if it's technically referenced in the motion picture, which would officially make it canon, but it was definitely in uh, Gene Roddenberry's like script treatment and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you... I'm, I'm pretty sure most people do consider that canon, right? Don't they? Yeah, I think mm-hmm. so. I think so. Yeah. yeah. And again, Deck- Decker has a pretty good fight scene with the security officer. <laughs> it goes on a while, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. For what it is, I mean that that much. Yeah, that seems like you're doing some permanent damage to the guy. Aren't, aren't yeah. they on the same side? <laughs> um, There's a lot of screaming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is this episode about? Obsession. I don't know. It kind of feels like. Um, a little bit of um, Moby Dick in here with um, Commodore Decker. He's got to, you know, avenge his crew and, you know, harpoon that whale. Then he he's blind to everything else. Yeah, yeah, I think it's that's definitely a key component here. You know, you get um, emotionally uh, affected by a big event and then not being able to recover from that. And it affects, you know, affects your reaction, affects your actions and the obsession that results and so on. Um, um, which I think is interesting because, you know, again, we rarely have episodes that we think are good episodes that focus so much on a, um, not at one of our main 
characters, you know, in a sense. Um, but I mean, I think it's, it's because probably because the, you know, he's, he's out of the picture fairly early, relatively early on in the episode. Then it becomes this whole group problem solve, you know, challenge thing, kind of focusing on Kirk and getting out of there and so on. So anyway, that kind of rambled on there, but no, you know, it reminds me of something we never mentioned because we just kind of don't think about it, take it for granted. There's this thing the original series does that other Star Treks followed suit, but you know, when, when a captain meets another captain or, you know, admiral or whatever, if they really know them and they just call them by their first name, Mm-hmm. Matt, Matt, Jim, you know, whatever. Right. It's not like, you know, Chekhov is not turning around and saying, hey, Jim. That's a, right. No. So it's like a captain to captain thing. Um, I, always, I always feel like that's a Gene Roddenberry thing because that is kind of a military bit. Mm-hmm. I actually was in the army and there was, you saw that. Like, I, I remember a couple of warrant officers that I never even thought of as having had first names <laughs> talking to each other hearing them speak to each other and calling each other by their first name, you know. And, of course, Roddenberry was in the military. And and the police, right? Yeah. So that's another one of those things here. Uh, so when you're talking about the way Kirk interacts with him, uh, you know, it's almost as if they were friends or at least some sort of mutual respect so that later in the episode, whenever he is out, there is a sense of making him not die for nothing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. And you do know whenever, I think, is it Spock who says to Kirk, or maybe it's, it's either Spock or McCoy, uh, I, your logs are going to reflect that he died in the line of duty or something. You know, yes, yes, of course that's what he's going to do. So, you know, there, there, my point, I guess, partially is to say that there is more weight than just another guest star. And they do that through the writing. Let's do six degrees for the Doomsday Machine. Uh, Steve has two and Adam has one, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, let's see. Adam, do you want the song lyrics from Star Trek question? Or the or not that? The song lyrics? Yeah. Sure, why not? Elizabeth Rogers plays Lieutenant Palmer, a temporary communications officer. She reprised this role in the original series' third season in the episode The Way to Eden. Finish these song lyrics. I'm looking for one word. Head now to Eden. Yay, blank. Yay. <laughs> Again, I remember the episode. Head I now actually... to Eden. Yay, blah, blah. Oh, goodness. Goodness gracious. I have no idea. <laughs> Steve? Uh, brother? Yes. Yay, brother. <laughs> Charles Napier. Uh, Steve, Rogers will also voice the mysterious entity at the heart of the episode Metamorphosis in the second season. Name that entity. Mm. Um, jeez. From Blanken. I don't know. Adam? I don't know. What podcast are you guys on? Not a Star Trek podcast, that's for sure. The Companion. Oh, The Companion, oh, okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> of course, The Companion, of course. Mm-hmm. All right, well, I have uh, kept my colleagues up rather late, and I'm sorry about that, so we're going to wrap this up very quickly. You can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. Our Facebook listener page is facebook.com slash trekcompanion. Our Twitter handle is at Trek Companion. We never ever comment on this sort of thing, but I'm going to do it anyway. 
uh, the DS9 documentary. It's an Indiegogo, isn't it? Mm-hmm. They've already met their funding goal. You know, now they're just doing stretch goals and stuff. So there's a yeah, the Ira Bear DS9 documentary on Indiegogo. Uh, it only has a couple weeks left, so check it out. But that's just me personally talking. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, we look forward to doing the next three episodes of the original series in two weeks. And until next time, thanks for listening and spending an hour with us. Please take it easy. Bye, guys. See you. I passed it.